All right, everyone, nice. welcome to the show today. We're going to be call talking about uh, some global events. We'll be talking about the change in sentiment, investor sentiment, what it means for New Zealand, what it means for interest rates, central banking, and then maybe if we have time, we'll touch on what's been happening with Bitcoin in the last 24 hours because it has been quite phenomenal watching that story unfold. So how are you, Rupert? You having a good day? I'm having a great day. Thank you, Darcy. Um, it's always nice when you're kind of in positive sentiment. We ping pong uh, narrative and we're, we're on the up at the moment. I run a funds management business and yeah. times like this are the best of times. And if I can't be happy now, fuck, there's no helping me. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'd say that anyway. There's no helping you, Rupert. But it's just well, nice that, to that, see that's you. That's very smile. true. But I, I'm allowed to be that's positive good. every now and then because I'm normally the, the kind of the negative yeah. Nelly. So this is awesome. That's right. That's right. Well, I think it just comes with the territory, right? Like to look at both sides of the coin is kind of what you have to do with it when you're investing. If you, if you, if you need the confidence, you kind of need to know where the depth of that swimming pool is, right? Even though you're going to be swimming on the surface, you still kind of need to know where the risk lies. And so that's why, like, I like these conversations. It kind of keeps me focused on the mainstream as well. You're a really good stability, you know, stable influence <laughs> in my life, Rupert, having these mainstream conversations when occasionally I go off piece. So this is great. You think I, don't, I need to let you go a little bit further into the um, that alt, uh, alt sphere? No, no, I'm all good. If in doubt, I've got my tinfoil here ready. We're up 9% on the S&P 500, but it's a kind of like a cold soup story mixed with some really spicy seven, right? Like the magnificent seven is really pulling the performance up. Um, I wish I could show the chart. Uh, I was looking at a chart last night, just showing the performance of the S&P 493. So it sounds the seven that are actually doing all the heavy lifting and it's pretty average. It's pretty pathetic. So talk to me what's going on, because I, I have some questions around risk around this, but what's your perspective first? Well, look, November an amazing month, right? So sixth best month in the market since 2000, uh, the best month that we've had in the market since November 2020. The, the narrative has changed. We are, we are fully in soft landing territory. We've got the immaculate uh, disinflation, which we're partway through. We've got interest rates, which have fallen 60 points in the month, as we all believe that um, we're going to manage to achieve disinflation without the heinous impacts of 500 points of interest rate rises. So look, markets are pricing in a really great scenario right now. Um, we've kind of, and I think throughout the year, we've been consistently surprised at the strength of the consumer. Um, and that's where we're kind of starting to see that kind of come through. But at the same time, we've seen a tick up in unemployment data. We saw that in New Zealand. We've seen that in the US. We've seen sentiment data start to get a little bit negative. And we've also started to see some signs that the consumer might be starting to roll over. And by that, I mean, we've got tick ups in, um, in delinquencies, um, debt kind of arrears mm -hmm. are starting to grow. We're starting to see increase yeah. in credit card debt, afterpay, all that kind of stuff. And so everyone's now taking the view that mm -hmm. fuel, the, the, the central banks have been trying to engineer a slowdown for the better part of the last 18 months, and we're starting to see that. But we're also seeing growth. Um, I mean, this year, it's truly outstanding, right? The US economy is going to grow something like 9% on a nominal basis this year, um, which is amazing, right? On a real basis, we're still going to be kind of 2 to 3%. Um, and yeah, so it's kind of like Goldilocks. Things could not be better. Yeah. That's good. You really are positive today, aren't you? 
Oh, I've, I've got some negative Australian. stuff to come. Don't worry. <laughs> All right. Well, let's um, let's talk about some of that negative stuff because I kind of have this wacky theory that I don't know if you call it a conspiracy theory or it's just an alternative theory, perhaps that. And it yeah. kind of came about at the start of the pandemic when we started to see markets like specifically property equities, higher risk sectors like uh, the New Zealand dollar and crypto really start to take off during that period of risk on when there was a lot of new currency creation going on. Yeah. And my theory kind of was that sometimes you see the well, we know that risk and return are highly correlated where you see one, you yeah. see the other. Normally, we kind of think that we get the we take a risk and we get the return simultaneously, but sometimes we get the return well in advance of the risk. And so one of the bigger sort of macro things that I've been kind of thinking about a lot lately, just around current events and how it might affect the performance of tech stocks in particular, but just sentiment worldwide, is just this rising geopolitical tension. I look at what's happening with Israel right now with, with a lot of interest. Um, I, I'm looking at what's happening with the Panama Canal. Low water levels mean that shipping traffic is reduced by something like 50%. People are having to go around the long way around, adding another five days. That's going to increase shipping costs. That's inflationary. Looking at the Suez Canal, that's the part where I think it's the Arabian Sea is connected to the Mediterranean. Correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of traffic is going through there. And like just overnight, we, we're hearing stories that uh, Iranian-backed Houthi rebels are you know, attacking U.S. naval ships as well, in, as well as shipping traffic. So that's kind of significant. All of this is a, a massive risk. And I guess in a situation where there was a global recession, if that was to occur, then what's going to go first, your Spotify subscription or your fuel, right? Like that's kind of where we're going. Um, so how's that yeah. for just raining on your parade? Oh, look, uh, you're 100% right. There, there are so many risks around um, sitting in there at the moment, right? I mean, I, I think we've talked about it before, but I think Bloomberg did some great analysis uh, a couple of months back where the more we talk about things being amazing and the more we talk about soft landing, the more chance there is yeah. that we move into hard landing. And, and all of the things that you've you just pointed out, right, um, around kind of what's happening in the Middle East, what's happening in Europe and Russia, what's happening in, in that part of the world. Yeah, we do mm. run a really significant risk that, um, that inflation spikes again, because if we have more supply chain issues, which is what the Panama and Suez Canal will do, if we have another energy spike, um, which is what's going to happen if we end up kind of, if the, the conflict in the Middle East broadens, I think it's really interesting, right? We do have a massive amount of risk at the political level, which is going to do supply chains. Plus, let's mm -hmm. be honest, what we said last year, right? Economies like to go up on a on a piece of on a nice little escalator, but they come down in the lift. Um, and <laughs> is it probably what we're assuming right now is that we've kind of got a nice little flat escalator where they're coming down, and we've got a consumer that's kind of slowly weakening. But history shows us that they don't slowly weaken; they kind of they weaken slowly until they mm -hmm. weaken extremely fast. Um, and so yeah. I do think there is kind of quite a lot of risk there. I mean, and again, coming back to, to kind of to type and my negativity, um, we do have to look at what happened back in 2008, right? So December 2008, 
was uh, this November was the best month for a multi-asset portfolio since 2008. That means a portfolio which has got both bonds mm -hmm. and stocks in it uh, because the bond markets kind of significantly rallied as well off the back of falling interest rates. The last time this yep. happened was December 20, 2008. Um, and... Uh, we just need to remember what happened in January and February and March um, of 2009. Um, it was that false yeah, euphoria, right. which very quickly unwound. So yeah, I, I yeah. think kind of, There's, yeah, there, there are a lot of risks still out there. Yeah. But again, like with, without those risks, you're not, it's, it's like the price that you have to pay, right? It's the admission fee. You can't yeah. just expect to set your dollars loose in the magical markets and expect to get a return like you're not entitled to a return without taking risk which Massive. is fascinating when you when you think really deeply about this because this is where i think the the passive investor does really well because they can yep. kind of sleep easier at night knowing that hey it doesn't matter because we're looking long term we're goals based we've allocated our portfolio really thoughtfully we don't need to think about that um but it's also again quite a fascinating space if you're an active investor as well, because even just with a small portion of your portfolio, if you're the one that's calling the shots on that, um, as long as you understand that, you know, most people don't get it right, you might get it right, especially if you take a keen interest um, in some of these events that are going down. Like, I'm, I'm again, one of the other stories is what Venezuela is talking about in terms of annexing um, neighboring Guyana, uh, funnily enough. Oh, wow. Shortly after the, the U.S. Oh, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. Like, so rewind the clock a little bit. The U.S. removes some sanctions off Venezuela, probably because they're trying to kind of think about where they get their oil. The oil that yeah. the U.S. produces isn't the, the right type of oil for them to consume themselves, funnily enough. So they kind of are still dependent on some imports. That's my understanding of it. And Venezuela is just like right there, right? But so Exxon discovered some new new uh, sources of oil in neighboring Guyana. Um, Venezuela's always believed that that's part of them. Sounds a lot like Russia and Ukraine. So yeah, I think it's it's a fascinating time just to see World War III potentially, um, outside of the official announcement of it, arrive maybe in South America in some form, perhaps, on the horizon. So again, it's just like, wow, do you factor that in? Or do you kind of ignore that? Um, and, I, and I don't think that the answer is clear. But no. You kind of have to live in that in-between ground, don't you? I think the one thing that we've learned over the last three years or four years is um, as much as we try and predict what's going to happen and as much as we try and react to these risks, it, it always kind of markets seem to see through it all, right? When we look at um, the rise in interest rates and yep. what that was meant to do, we look at what Ukraine, the war in Ukraine and what that was meant to do to the energy situation in Europe and therefore the European economies, we look at what's currently happening in the Middle East where um, actually what that was meant to do to oil markets. I think what we're seeing is the global economy is so resilient and has, mm. been, amazingly, has been amazing at finding ways to react to all of these crises. Um, and, and who knows whether this continues or not, but I think um, what, we are, what we have seen over the last three years is the, the economy is resilient, markets react mm. short term, um, but it's really, really hard to predict what this does in the medium term um, because markets have mm. continued to bounce back. And maybe that changes yeah. um, and, and maybe we are wrong. Maybe we are kind of setting ourselves up for, for a big fall. Yeah. But one yeah. thing we do know, markets always recover. We just don't know when. Yeah.
Yeah, no, that's that's a good point. Resilient. It's it's surprisingly resilient. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's talk about again. We we started off with talking about the S and P five hundred up nine yeah. percent. Uh, we look at the NZX here in New Zealand up only four percent. Why the difference? Look, unfortunately, the, the NZX. I think there's a couple of big differences, right? One is um, we just don't have the, the innovative growth companies that you've got in other parts of the, the world. And so we've got a, a, a stock market that is very, very focused on on property, on infrastructure. I mean, we don't even have any agriculture, which is probably one of the, the sectors that's done best out of in New Zealand over the last 20 years. And so it is a really, really tough market for it at the same time. And right. we just don't have any of the kind of those high growth, interesting companies. It is all companies that are driven by dividend yield, driven by property, driven by interest rates. Um, and yes, we should have seen probably a little bit better coming out of it with that 50 points uh, coming off those medium to long term interest rates and that change in sentiment. But I think here mm. in New Zealand, at the moment, we, we are in a little bit of, of, a, of a funk, I think. Uh, New Zealand, the economic data here is probably worse than in many other places around the world. We are one of the only mm. economies in the world where actually the economic data in New Zealand has come out worse in 2024 uh, than forecast. Our, our growth has been lower. Our unemployment is kind of largely tracked in line with forecasts, whereas everyone else has kind of come in significantly lower. So, yes, yeah, so I think that's a combination of our market structure but also just general nervousness around what's happening in New Zealand and, and where the economy is going as well. Right. Okay. So the stock market, it ain't doing anything too exciting right now. The New Zealand dollar, however, well, that's, yeah. that's really fascinating. And well, it's, it's not fascinating as in surprising, but it's fascinating in, in just how it consistently does the same sort of thing. And when we think of risk assets, when sentiment gets better like when people feel yep. a little bit more optimistic they'll take more risk and the reason why we'll come to in a second but the new zealand dollar went up by i i, I don't know i don't have the, the numbers in front of me but something like four percent i think wasn't it yeah like five, it was, uh, four or five percent against the us dollar yeah so like significant increase and um, i guess investors will view new zealand dollars as a um, speculative bet and so yep. often they're the first to go up when there's there's a shift in sentiment, um, if, if I'm reading that correctly. So the spinoff effect of that is that if our dollar increases in value relative to, say, the U.S. dollar, that means that our imports become relatively cheaper. And now the Reserve Bank of New Zealand has a slight assist in the form of lower costs. Um, yep. That's my interpretation. Do you want to add something to that, though? No, no, yeah, that's 100% right. So uh, high, higher dollar generally means that our imports, we run quite a significant trade deficit. Um, and so therefore our imports do become cheaper. So everyday consumer goods become cheaper. Um, mm -hmm. Whether that's a driver or I'm not sure how that comes into the inflation conversation. Um, it should kind of make a whole lot of household goods cheaper. It should make a lot of the construction yeah. materials, a lot of that stuff cheaper as well. So it, it should help us. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. it's kind of, it's an interesting one though, right? Because the dollar, uh, the dollar has been driven by two things. One is there's the risk off sentiment in the U in the, there's, sorry, there's the, the slowdown in the U S and the fall in interest rates in the U S. So the U S economy the U S interest rates have fallen about two, two and a half percent against its major trading mm -hmm. partners. And then the other two, two and a half percent can be attributed to the New Zealand dollar. Um, and that two, two and a half percent 
that's, as you say, Darcy, it's all about risk assets. So we're kind of moving into this new world of risk on. Um, but also we've seen a strengthening in interest rates in New Zealand over the last couple of days, following mm. kind of Adrian Orr's uh, tirade last week yeah. um, and kind yeah. of his view that interest rates potentially need to stay a little bit stronger. But you, you're, it's kind of interesting, right? Because we haven't touched on it yet, but the risk on assets are going really well. So New Zealand dollar yeah. up kind of kind of one of the best months it's had for a long time. We've got Bitcoin, which is now up 156% mm. in the month. We've got the Crazy. return of the meme stocks, uh, where mm. kind of GameStop is now up um, kind of 30% in the last kind of five weeks. We've got a lot of these kind of things that are starting to see where kind of definitely um, the party's on, we're in risk on world mode. Mm. Yeah, it's all on like Donkey Kong, man. It's Exactly. Uh, it's interesting though, like, and and so I guess we could dovetail into this conversation around um, the the hawks versus the doves. I kind of have this image yep. in my mind of like West Side Story. Once you're a hawk, you're always a hawk, you know. And so I, I kind of see this fight playing out between the hawks and the doves. And just for context, as people can keep up with this, the hawk, a hawkish sentiment is basically just saying we're going to get nasty. We're going to we're going to rumble with inflation. The battle's not over yet. Um, whereas the doves are a bit more like the jellyfish parents, like, yeah, whatever. Um, let's chill out, let inflation kind of just do its thing. Right. But yeah. we kind of need a season of either or depending on what the economy is doing. And the risk is, is that they'll get too hawkish and push New Zealand into a deep, 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 dark, uh, recession. Uh, but the, his sentiment, so the Adrian yeah. is, is, um, his hawkish sentiment that came out was a little bit surprising. And I guess that partly contributed towards the expectation that interest rates will stay higher for longer in New Zealand, which means that investors are like, yeah, definitely. Because the, again, the high strength with the dollar and high interest rate expectations, they're kind of correlated. So am I, am I calling that correct there? Or do you think that maybe, maybe he's just saying things accurately or are we saying, are we kind of reading too much into that? Well, I think you're hundred percent right. And that is one of the key drivers of the, the uh, the dollar. I, I'm look, I'm kind of curious how bank economists have reacted and how they've kind of come out um, from his sentiment. Because actually, Jerome Powell, the US Federal Reserve Chair, also came out with a similar speech on Friday last week. And mm. what that did is the markets kind of ignored it. They completely ignored that one. Whereas in New Zealand, with a very similar speech, he went absolutely nuts. Yeah, interesting, isn't it? Interesting. Same medicine, oh. different reaction. Yeah, um, and so it's kind of been it's been fascinating. My my view is he has done a he's kind of said what he said, and he's pushing pretty hard to try and encourage banks and everyone else to stay the course because what he does not want to happen right now is a uh, a loosening of monetary conditions. And so one of his nightmares would be banks start to reduce mortgage rates right now, reflecting what's happening in medium-term interest rates. And so that's why I think that he's kind of talking a tough game and he's trying to jawbone mortgage rates to kind of stay where they are until he gets a whole lot more confidence mm. that um, inflation mm. is actually falling and is actually where they need it to be. One of the big things that will be mm. going through his mind is what happens in the, happened in the 1970s. Early in the 1970s, when the first round of interest rates happened, they firmly believed that they had beaten it. They started reducing interest rate, interest rates fell, and then they got absolutely whacked by round two, 
um, which yeah. was far more painful and took them kind of a much longer period to deal with. They know that they've got to, if they can mm. get it under control properly and firmly early, then that's going to mm. deliver much better medium-term answers, right? right? And so I think that's what last mm. week was about in my mind. It's about kind of going, putting the markets on notice. Hey, I am going to be tough here. I am going to be strong. Um, I am going to make sure that we get this dealt to. So don't go preemptively kind of changing prices or, or doing anything different. Right. Okay. So again, we need to uh, flatten the curve, right? Go hard, go exactly. early um, so that we don't get knocked out by this second wave. Man, that sounds familiar. Um, yeah, so does, we're, actually. Do I need, well, do, well, do I need to get my, uh, my tinfoil out again? I don't know. <laughs> well, in saying that though, I mean, he is also delivering to a certain extent what his political masters want him to. Because with the new uh, changes to the Reserve Bank Act, where he's been told he should focus on absolutely nothing except for inflation, and he needs to do it very quickly and not give concern to anything else, I'd argue kind of last week was actually delivering exactly that. Wow. Okay. Well, let's dip into that territory. So with some of these policy announcements that came out of this coalition agreement uh, last week, I think it was early last week, this was one of them that the Reserve Bank would have a much narrower focus. So enough of the other stuff, um, housing and all this other sort of equality stuff, right? But yep. let's actually just get right back down to the purest function possible for the Reserve Bank, which is to focus on price stability, focus on inflation, yeah. keep it within that band. You have one job to do. Don't stuff it up. That's kind of like where we're going. Is that... <laughs> Is that a progressive move or is that regressive is the question, right? Uh, look, personally, I think it's pretty regressive. Um, this is us going back to 1993, uh, where admittedly uh, New Zealand was the, the leading in, uh, central bank in the world all the way back then. We were the first in the world to come back with hard and defined um, inflation targets and, and kind of a, a mandate which said that uh, inflation had to be within a certain tolerance. Um, but I think increasingly people have understood that by fighting inflation and inflation alone, it can create a lot of other pain. Um, and so therefore the, the central bank's job, if we think about it, it is to deliver financial stability. And I guess it depends on your, on your definition of financial stability. Um, but that's why increasingly things like, I think the housing market, that was a bit of a faff that needed to be kind of probably, we need to forget about that one. But I think the employment market is a, is a really important part of it because it, on one hand, inflation is the, the hidden tax and it does eat away at people's earnings power, but so is unemployment. If you lose your job, you're equally stuffed. Um, and so I think there, there needs to be a bit of both. What I find fascinating about the conversation on the central bank and inflation targeting, it wasn't actually until 2012 that the US Federal Reserve agreed to have an inflation target because their view was um, by creating such a single focused mandate, you end up risk causing a whole lot more damage uh, than not. And so in, in 2012 in, in the US, they agreed, yep, okay, we will have a, a, a mandate and we will kind of have a target inflation rate. But then I think it was by 2016, that's when they also brought in the unemployment measures as well. The, the one thing which does seem to have been watered down, and I really hope that it continues to be watered down, 
Um, I know uh, some uh, David Seymour and was talking early on about also setting a time frame and saying inflation had to be brought down within a very short time frame and kind of almost like they were going to kind of pick a series of months or, or kind of that had to be done. And I really hope that doesn't happen because if a central bank sits there and says, well, I have to bring inflation down and I have to um, do it within a six or a 12-month period, he's only got one option, and that is to absolutely crash the economy, um, and that will yeah. cause chaos. And so I kind of think we just yeah. need to probably have a slightly more nuanced debate here, move away from populist politics mm -hmm. to sound bites to actually let's think about the long-term implications mm -hmm. of what we're doing. Okay. All right. Well, we're going to have to come into a bit of a landing here. There's so much more to go into around just even that topic, right? But maybe we could um, finish up just around whether whether the market is getting ahead of itself in terms of speculation. And I'm zooming back out now, looking more, more so from the U.S. perspective here. Uh, are we getting ahead of ourselves thinking that the, the Fed specifically and presumably the RBNZ to follow in about six months time or so will be dropping rates and so i guess the idea is that the reason why there's so much risk on right now is because investors are anticipating that which may or may not happen um again i kind of try and stay relatively neutral and consider the good consider the bad and equal measures just so that you have to do something right to stay balanced but yep. in this situation like again over the last 24 48 hours we're seeing the price of bitcoin just you know, we, we, we touched $42,000 last night and, I, and there's a ton of resistance at $42,000. So I would expect some choppy times from here on in, 42 US that is. Uh, we've seen gold uh, briefly touch all-time highs as well, I believe. So like those are the two kind of assets that I love to watch because they're the only real ways I think that you can hedge against like complete systemic failure, which hopefully is a very, very distant possibility. But as that goes up, that kind of is a measure of how close we're getting to that potentially. But again, most investors probably don't see it like that. They see it as a risk on asset. So whether it's a safe haven or a risk asset is kind of tied into that whole stagflation versus recession thing and whether or not the markets are getting ahead of themselves or not. Your views? Uh, look, I, I've been saying for a better part of the kind of six, 12 months, or I've been believing internally that markets are probably a little bit ahead of themselves and I've been perpetually wrong. Um, but yeah, I think the rally that we've seen over the last couple of months, uh, last month is, is kind of definitely very aggressive. Liam Dan, I think, said it best in the, in the Herald over the weekend where he had an article going, um, it, it's kind of, it's either recession or it's not. Uh, it's either recession or it's higher interest rates. And you can't really have one without the other. Um, and I, I tend to agree with that, actually. So I think either interest rates, um, we've either got it wrong on interest rates and interest rates are going to go higher. Unfortunately, if we're into that world, that means stagflation, which is potentially pretty ugly. Um, or it's lower interest rates, but probably accompanied by recession. Um, I continue to mm. believe that that will be the best option for us um, because I continue to believe that we just need to kind of have the clean out, all the shit needs to come out. Um, we need to start again and go for it rather than trying to muddle our way through. But um, so, yes, I think markets do seem a bit ahead of themselves. It's kind of, you can't, like we say in life, I tell my kids, you can't have your cake and eat it too. And that's exactly where markets are at right now. Mm, okay. Yeah. Uh, my only counter to that is I, I just wonder, 
Um, again, I'm playing devil's advocate to myself as well. I just wonder if we've miscalculated the impact of technology here in terms of what impact it can have potentially to productivity growth, which is one of the drivers to GDP, which is the is yeah. like the silent superhero that's trying to break free here to save us all from this recession thing. Um, I don't know. And maybe that's why we're seeing such good performance in the S&P 500 again, uh, because of the Magnificent Seven. So it really is a, a team of superheroes here, these, these tech giants that may just save us. What do you think? Oh, 100%. And, and I think, look, I, I think you'd be naive to bet against the Magnificent Seven right now, to be perfectly honest, given, um, uh, given increasingly, in my view, AI means that the you need the processing power, the data sets, et cetera. The bigger you are, the more you're going to benefit from it. The one thing I would say mm. on productivity is I do agree, and that might mean that the 2020s uh, replicate what happened in the 1920s, um, and we might be in for a golden period. But I think recession's mm. either going to come in the next kind of six months or it's not, and I query whether we're going to see the benefits of AI and productivity benefits in that, that soon short term. To me... The productivity conversation mm. around AI, yeah. that's a three, five, seven-year story. Um, I think interest rates biting, mm. consumers hurting, that's a kind of six, 12, 18-month story. Um, so coming mm. back to as investors, yeah. we focus on the long term. Um, I'm very confident in the long term, and I can see some great drivers of why over the medium term, we can have, we can have some amazing returns and have a great period ahead of us. Um, but I still think there's uh, quite a lot of risk up in the front end. Excellent place to finish it. Well done. All right. Thank you very much, Rupert. Uh, another great discussion. Thanks, Can't wait to, uh, awesome to see what happens next week. Yeah. Cool, man. Oh, I can't wait right. either. Yeah, I we'll go away for Christmas and um, kind of close our eyes and come back to a different world. Actually, yeah. Is this is this the last one for the year or are we going to do another one next year? Or not not next year, next week. Are we going to do another one next, next week? I reckon we do one more. Uh, I think we do one more next week and we'll talk about a whole lot of the forecasts and predictions for 2024 so that we can look back Perfect. in April and talk about how wrong we were. Perfect. Fantastic. <laughs> good to set a reference point or a line in the sand, right? That was a good discussion though. Um, thank you very much, Rupert. We'll see you on the next one. Thanks, Darcy. See you next week. All right. Cheers.